Hey, good morning, church. Um, for those of you who are new here, visiting, and you don't have a Bible, so just put up your hands and someone will hand you a Bible over there. Yep, anyone wants a hard copy Bible? So we'll be reading from Jeremiah chapter 27 today. The book of Jeremiah chapter 27. And before I begin the reading, let's just uh, prepare our hearts with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a creator God, that you are God that created us and created everything in heaven and earth. And we thank you that you are always in control even when it doesn't feel like it. Help us to see this afresh in your word and bless the reading and hearing of the word and the message that is to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 27. Reading from verse 1. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the kings of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, I will make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under its, his yoke, I will punish that nation with a sword, famine, and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums, or your sorcerers who tell you you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you far from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. I said, bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Serve him and his people and you will live. Why will you? And your people die by the sword, famine, and plague with which the Lord has threatened any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Do not listen to the words of prophets who say to you, you will not serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Therefore, I will banish you, and you will perish, both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Then I said to the priests and all these people, This is what the Lord says. Do not listen to the prophets who say, 
Very soon now the articles from the Lord's house will be brought back from Babylon. They are prophesying lies to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and you will live. Why should this city become a ruin? If they are prophets and have the word of the Lord, let them plead with the Lord Almighty that the articles remaining in the house of the Lord and in the palace of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem not be taken to Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says about the pillars, the bronze sea, the movable stands, and the other articles that are left in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take away when he reached Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, along with all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says about the things that are left in the house of the Lord and in the palace of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem. They will be taken to Babylon, and there they will remain until the day I come for them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. Can you guys hear me? Great. All right, uh, let me start with this story from uh, primary school. So we're driving down a hill, by, uh, my mom and I, mom's driving. Mum um, speeds up because the guy behind us supposedly is tail tailgating her. Mum ends up getting pulled over by a policeman and she tries to argue her case. You can't book me. Um, the policeman disagreed. And uh, regardless of what she wanted to say, there wasn't really a lot she could do, was there? She messed up, uh, was trying to do whatever she could to get off the hook. Now, maybe you kind of know what this feels like. Uh, maybe uh, you've spared or you've gotten in trouble some other way. And there was someone who had uh, absolute say in the situation at hand. For mum, this was the policeman that booked her and she was at his mercy. You guys, sometimes, you know, like, we don't want to hear the bad news. Uh, like, sorry, ma'am, uh, I'm issuing you a fine for $128. You most likely wish there was something you could do about the situation. And I'm almost certain that you want to get out of the, the trouble you're in. In some ways, whilst it's really uncomfortable for people to go through this, is it good that we can just go through life however we want, uh, avoiding the problem completely scot-free? The saying, do the crime, do the time, was made up for a reason. And it just so happened that, uh, that this policeman was there. He had the absolute power to find my mum, and she couldn't do anything about it. She just had to go along with it. Uh, even later down the line, if, let's say, she didn't pay, so worse punishment, and if she did pay, well, no more fine to speak of, right? There was not much she could do apart from pay for it. Now, going back to last week, uh, we got into our new series. Uh, Pastor Iggy kicked us off. Um, the series, this series, sorry, is all about God's relationship 
uh, with his people who have turned away from him. And now we're seeing the outcome. The outcome which has come from a fearsome God. And as we go into today's chapter, I'm hoping to show you that God isn't only fearsome, but he's completely sovereign as well. He has the complete authority to judge. And so here's a big question we need to think about. If God is completely sovereign, how should we view his judgment? And what does that mean for us? You might have heard or thought yourself, who is God to judge us? We tend to scoff at anyone passing judgment on us. But what if it's God? Now, uh, some background for this passage. Uh, We're at this point where God shows that even though He has unlimited patience and grace, He is still a righteous God. A God who is gracious but will judge. Again, uh, last week we saw Pastor Iggy mention how uh, God is a fearsome God. This week we're going, we're going to come across an idea which might be slightly confronting. We'll see how he's totally sovereign, particularly as he announces judgment on everyone. And okay, fair enough, uh, at this part of the Old Testament, Israel have rejected him a lot. God is going to make it clear that it won't keep going on like this. Uh, I remember back in my first year Old Testament class, uh, Gary Miller, uh, the principal, he pointed out how God had continuously showed grace to his people throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree that they shouldn't have, yet God didn't destroy them. Moses and the Israelites continued to fail and reject God after he rescued them from Egypt, yet he didn't abandon his people. Read through Judges and you might lose count of how many times Israel broke his commands and worshipped false idols. Yet God still gave them a land and a kingdom. Fast forward through some failed kings and we're at today's passage. Let me start with verse 2. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send uh, send word to the kings of Edom Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them a message for their masters and say, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people, and the animals are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. So Jeremiah, uh, he gets a message from God to give to some envoys, uh, sort of like an ambassador. So they're there on behalf of the kings to plan with Israel about how to handle this uh, growing and threatening nation, Babylon. How do we beat them, essentially? But this message from Jeremiah, it needs to be delivered to the kings of those nations. And here's the message. God said, I made this world, its people and its animals, and I can do whatever I want with it. Okay, here's the thing. If you've read earlier parts of the Old Testament, you'll know that those nations are enemies of Israel. God told his people not to interact with these nations. Why is Israel working with them? 
foreign alliances means being okay with the gods of those nations. God isn't okay with that. How far Israel has slipped away from God and what He wants from His people. It's no wonder that God has planned to judge them. Moving on to verse 6. Now I'll give all your countries into the hands of my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. This is what they'll hear. Uh, You know how you lived under your own kings in your own lands and things were good? That's not happening anymore. Nebuchadnezzar is your leader now, your king. What do you think this would feel like? Uh, To me, it sounds pretty terrible. Just imagine you're an Israelite and every time you see Nebuchadnezzar, you'll remember this judgment God has laid on you. But it gets worse. The situation is going to feel even more desperate. There's actually no way out of this. Verse 8 to 9. If, however, any nation or kingdom will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or bow its neck under his yoke, I will punish that nation with the sword, famine and plague, declares the Lord, until I destroy it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums or your sorcerers who tell you, you will not serve the king of Babylon. Uh, So to quickly explain what a yoke is, uh, it's just... Uh, It has a strap and some bars behind, uh, usually uh, for oxen to um, work through the fields, till the fields, helping the farmers out, and uh, the farmers can uh, get the work done by the oxen. Now, uh, any nation that doesn't serve Nebuchadnezzar, as this passage says, will be destroyed. Anyone that says otherwise is lying. There's no point in fighting it. So, so far, Jeremiah's message is everyone will serve Nebuchadnezzar and there's no point in fighting it. You ever try to fight a losing battle? Feels kind of hopeless, right? I think we heard uh, Jeremiah's uh, message at the time. If we heard uh, Jeremiah's message at this time, uh, we'd feel just, just absolutely terrible. Not only do they have to be subject to Nebuchadnezzar and, and suffer but they have no say in this matter. Being subject to someone else usually doesn't feel that great already. But this is a you-are-powerless kind of situation. We don't like that sort of thing, do we? We like control. It's like, here's God's message, take it or leave it. But there is one way it can end well, and it it really cements just how he rules over everything. Verse 11. Uh, But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it and to live there, declares the Lord. Uh, So the earlier verses said that if you go against him, this will happen. But you go with his word and it'll go well. He's completely sovereign. But spoiler alert, it doesn't go well. 
we haven't really changed as humans in forever, right? We always feel a little hesitant about God being in complete control, don't we? We always want to be in control. We don't like it when we can't do anything. Uh, I think I felt this the most when I broke my leg uh, a number of years ago. Thanks. Uh, so I'm going to tell you the story. Um, when I'm done, I'm going to give you a big thumbs up. If you're squeamish, maybe now is the time to cover your ears for a moment. Right? So I was playing social touch footy. Um, I had this bad cut on my foot. Uh, I didn't want to play barefoot, but also the groundsman didn't want us to wear boots because the grass kept uh, tearing up. Uh, anyways, I uh, wore runners on wet grass and I really badly broke and dislocated my leg, right? So if you looked uh, straight on, my leg was sort of like this, right? So I had limited mobility, no stability in the leg for six months. I couldn't walk. It was, it was terrible. Uh, after some time, my calf was legitimately half the size of what it was normally, because I hadn't used it for so long. I really wished I could rehab my leg faster. Nope. I wanted to, be, uh, to get back to class, uh, to my classes at Bible College, and finish my study. Couldn't do that. I wanted to, to do everything with my friends, walk around normally, play footy again. Forget about that. Legitimately, there was nothing I could do except wait for my leg to recover. I was completely powerless. I could only wait and then strengthen my leg. While waiting, I felt powerless. I hated it. And I'm sure most of you would feel this because we don't like feeling like there's nothing we can do in these situations. Uh, back then, all the Edomites, uh, the Ammonites, the Moabites, all of them, they all thought they were safe. Because they were like, we don't worship this God called Yahweh. See, every nation back then had a God unique to their own land. Moab uh, had their own, same with Tyre, Sidon as well. Now, I'd have a reasonable belief to think, why does what Yahweh, the God of Israel, say matter to me, if I was one of their people? Well, it does. We all have to face Him. Because Yahweh is the God of the universe. His sovereignty knows no limits. These kings would probably try to pull the I don't answer to this God card. Actually, they do. The earth is God's. With His great power and outstretched arm, He created it. He can give its people and its animals on it to anyone he pleases. So that means there's no hiding from what's coming, even if we think there's nothing. Like a God can't hurt me, he has no say over me. I don't follow him. I gotta say, neither did the kings and people of all those nations. If God's saying that the earth is his and he he does whatever he wants with the people on it. 
then logically everyone has to face him. It's not going to be a matter of, I was a good person. It's going to be a matter of, did you serve his chosen king? For everyone mentioned in this section of the passage, it was Nebuchadnezzar. But we know God's ultimate chosen king, Jesus. So my question is, if you have to face God, what can you do or say, say to the sovereign God? Now let me come back to this. Now, uh, as God's people, we should know what his sovereignty entails. Let's have a quick look at verse 12. Um, I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. I said, bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, serve him and his people, and you will live. See, Zedekiah, the king of Judah, the person supposedly in charge, he was the 20th and final king of Judah. Not a good king or a good guy by any means. So even the king wasn't exempt. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be? Zedekiah is the king, but he has to be subject to another king, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, rounding off the shame here, it's that this, it's early in Zedekiah's reign as well, and he's already being told that he needs to bow his neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Sometimes it's, it's quite tempting to want to try to run away from God's sovereignty and judgment, isn't it? Uh, we might try to ignore it, hide from it, or diminish it, like the prophets in verses 14 to 15. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who say to you, you will not serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name. Therefore, I will banish you and you will perish, both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. They're trying to soften the blow here. You will not serve the king of Babylon. I'm sure at this point, that's exactly what Zedekiah wants to hear. But it's a lie. Most people don't, they just don't want to hear that God is going to judge everyone, including them. Maybe it's better that we mention that no one's exempt from God's judgment. Who knows? But what we do know is that God's judgment, it really brings a reaction that people don't want to hear about it, right? They don't want to hear that they are to live a life that follows God and lives His ways. They'd rather live their own ways and believe that everything's okay, that everything will be okay, that they won't be in danger facing God. It's tempting to live in denial like this, right? Doesn't it sound so much more appealing to live with a God that will just forgive everyone? But sometimes we need to hear these hard truths because one day we'll have to answer to God for everything, for everything we've done. We need to know that we want these white lies that are convenient and easy on the ears. But we need to run the other way. We need to trust that God has the best intentions for us, even if these things are really hard to hear or to go through. And let me come back to this. But in the meantime, we have this uh, interesting bit in verses 16 to 18. 
Uh, Then I said to the priests and all these people, this is what the Lord says. Do not listen to the prophets who say, very soon now the articles from the Lord's house will be brought back from Babylon. They are prophesying lies to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and you will live. Why should this city become a ruin? If they are prophets and have the word of the Lord, let them plead with the Lord Almighty that the articles remaining in the house of the Lord and in the palace of the kingdom of, of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem not be taken to Babylon. So these prophets are telling the priests and others that their oppression will end soon. He mentions that there are these articles from God's house, uh, all used for the temple worship, that they'll be brought back from Babylon. I think what that means here is that they're saying life will return back to normal. They'll be able to be in the temple to worship God as normal. But it's not true. These false prophets are trying to make the priests and the people feel better. But Jeremiah calls it a lie. Don't listen to them, Jeremiah says. Now, it's interesting enough that, uh, this, that in this section, Jeremiah has told the message to the king of Judah and now the priests and the people. These are all people from God's nations. Even God's people aren't exempt from the coming judgment. I don't think it's uh, hard to guess how judgment sounds. Really scary, right? But that's the thing. From the Bible, we have God's word of judgment, and it's there to warn us. It's there for our own good. Wanting to do the natural thing and fight it to run away, that's shooting ourselves in the foot. We don't have words of judgment merely to just exert control over us, but they're there to set us on the straight and narrow as well. So let me ask you this question. To reflect on this, whenever someone has a hard conversation with you, do you get defensive? Do you deny everything they say? Do you try to change the subject? I know that hard words aren't all that appealing to hear, but sometimes they're actually there for our own good. Sort of like a, hey, I, it's, you're going to have to stop turning up, to, to, turning up late to everything. Uh, I think you're making poor food choices. Uh, I think you're kind of abusing the, work, uh, the perks you have at work. These are all difficult words to hear. But on the other side of the coin, they're actually all beneficial for us. So whenever we hear these hard, hard words from others, do you think they have your best interests at heart? If it's another brother or sister in Christ, I hope they do. And I hope that you see that as well. Because if we find our fellow Christians' words to be hard to listen to, then God's words will be much harder. The fact that God judges people has been a problem that people have had with God of the Bible, Yahweh, since forever. Even Christians have found it hard to reconcile. But I think it's worth reiterating that He has everyone's best interest at heart. He is the God who, after all, has rescued His people, and He even makes another promise to do that. 
Verse 22. Uh, oops. Sorry, I've left it out from here. Verse 22. Do we see that here, God's sovereignty is yet on display again? This time, it's not in a proclamation that's hard to hear, but instead, it's in a promise that every Israelite would want to hear. They, the articles for worship, will be brought back and be restored back to Israel. And God wouldn't do that unless that meant a restoration for His relationship with His people. All those articles going back are a good thing. This is a message of hope for the people. How does that sound? God's words previously weren't easy to hear before. Ultimately, there is good news for the people. It's a word of harsh truth, but good event, it's a good eventual outcome. Now, um, here's another story. In 2019, uh, I was a second-year apprentice at a Christian group uh, at UQ. I would often meet with students to read the Bible, with, uh, usually in this spot, so that's UQ's uh, multi-faith chaplaincy. Uh, we talk about how things are going, uh, uni, church, uh, everything else in life. And I met up with this one student who was, who was so encouraging to talk with and to see him grow. Uh, I'm going to make up a name. His name for now is Larry. I heard about Larry's story from one of the student leaders. Uh, at this point, Larry's been to a school camp where they learn about Jesus. And they're encouraged to think whether they want to follow, uh, follow him by the end of the week. So Larry has an amazing experience at this camp. He realizes that he's a sinner who's in need of a savior. And Larry decides to become a Christian, decides to give his life to Jesus. We see him grow as a Christian. He's keen to meet with others to pray, to read the Bible, asks incredible questions. It was just amazing to see. Now, in my second year as an apprentice, uh, Larry has become has been asked to become a leader of the Bible study of a Bible study group, sorry. And that's just so encouraging for myself, uh, the students and the other staff as well. Larry's gone from, from uh, a new Christian to a Christian leader. As we saw the growth, it was just incredible. But in the second semester of 2019, things start to go a bit sideways. Larry didn't sit well with these new responsibilities he, he had. Uh, in our staff and student meetings, uh, we, we decided that we needed to see if everything was okay with Larry. And it, <laughs> it also meant the, the gut-wrenching decision to respectfully ask Larry if he would step down from serving as well. There was that possibility. Now, in this chat I had with him, he seemed really annoyed about the responsibilities Things just weren't clicking for him. It was, it was a really hard convo, I have to say. It was an absolute slog. And going into my regular meetup with him, I just didn't want to have that conversation with him at all. Probably one of the hardest conversations I've ever had to have. Uh, Larry was such an encouragement to see grow as a Christian. But I had to face reality that it was a conversation that was needed. Uh, I would much rather have had just let Larry go about his own ways, uh, hopefully realize that his ways of doing things weren't ideal. 
It didn't play out that way, though. Uh, the responsibilities were unappealing. He would rather have studied, play sport, didn't see the need for meetings with the rest of his team. So even though I really, really didn't want to have to go through with telling Larry, it had to be done. The alternative was to leave him um, in his role, and it was important enough for us to prevent any misunderstandings people may have had, what it meant to be as uh, a leader, or how high, in high esteem we held these positions. Now, this is a situation where I had to face the music rather than just wait and hope. I would rather have been in denial about reality. Hearing white lies about the whole situation would have been much more appealing. It's just like those white lies from the prophets in this passage. They would have been so much easier on the ears. But the truth isn't always easy to hear. That's something we learn in life. And how we see that today is by hearing that no one is exempt from God's judgment, isn't it? We often want to minimize the severity of anything serious. Uh, in Australia, we just have that way of doing things. Accepting the truth, and I think uh, this includes judge, God's judgment and punishment. Like, like, look, okay, earlier in the New T uh, Old Testament, where Moses gives God's law to the people of Israel, it's known that with sin, there's judgment and then there's punishment. A quick explanation to set ourselves, um, set ourselves up. Early in the Old Testament, God saves Israel, and essentially he says, I am a holy God, and because you are a sinful people, let's talk about how this is going to work. And so God gives what's known as the law, not only the Ten Commandments, but also the, the, the rest of the first five books. And God really lays it clear here. You faithfully live as my people, and it'll go well. But look, with sin, there's punishment. That's how it's always been. And so with Israel, that's what they're facing here. There is no correcting their ways at this point. There is no God. Please give us a second chance. God has forgiven his people so many times at this point. Israel is way past trying to fix things. And here's the hard truth. Exile is here, and they have no choice but to come to terms with it. They need to prepare themselves to live in Babylon as exiles, not listen to prophets who would tell them nice and pleasant things on the ears. You won't serve Nebuchadnezzar. Things will go back to normal soon. With God, there are certain things you just can't ignore. That's something Israel hasn't really reckoned with. That judgment is something they can't ignore. It's something that will come for all of us, and it's something that his son knew would come as well. So, a very well-known passage in uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Let me read this out for you. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give, to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says it just so emphatically. He knew that his father's judgment couldn't be escaped. He knew that he had to ransom himself. 
I'm just imagining if Jesus uh, said that these days, especially here in Australia. Can you, can you believe this guy, what he's saying? So, as Jesus knew that his father's sovereignty meant he had to give his life, it would be really good for us to know what God's sovereignty means for us. Now, depending on who you are, this will change quite a bit. Now, if you're, not, if you're someone who's not a Christian, I'm really glad you're here, uh, and I know others feel the same as well. So, if I can just briefly speak to you first. Maybe you're not sure what you think about Jesus at this point. Maybe you went to church in the past, and for one reason or another, you decided to stop going. Can I respectfully urge you to know that there's no sidestepping this issue? If you're someone who thinks that the God of the Bible doesn't judge, that judgment from Yahweh isn't coming, I would really urge you to rethink that. If I can give you some food for thought here, Christians know that the idea of God being a judge feels either ridiculous or horrendous. But if we think about it, if there's life after death, we all want it to just be harmonious, pleasant, good, and not a single bit of evil in sight. The thing is, deep within us all, we all want evil to be judged. But we don't want our evil to be judged. It'll happen though. The uncomfortable truth that we see time and time again is that judgment will be coming. So please have a conversation or, or two or three or as many as you need to keep thinking this through. And we're praying that there's movement on this for you guys. Uh, if you're a Christian, please, in your conversations, please don't soften talk about God's judgment. We do ourselves no service when we think that way, when we think of God that way. We need to ultimately be humbled in our sin as we wait for God. We need to trust in His sovereignty. And that really emphasizes how much we need to trust what's said in His Word, even if we feel uncomfortable. Those tough passages especially the judgment passages, they are all there for our good. They're all there for our warning. Uh, Going on to our next section, I felt like it was important to think about how Jesus ties all this together for us. Uh, Dealing with our sense of control, our autonomy, is such a sensitive topic. Um, But especially now that we've talked about how God's judgment can't be overcome or evaded, We need to remember it's going to happen. God is unlike anything in this world. And we do ourselves no benefit when we try to hide from His judgment. Our Lord Jesus also preached inevitable judgment, but He steps in the way for us. God does bring judgment, but He also gives His Son to cover us. When I said that there's nothing we can do to avoid God's judgment, there's nothing we can do. We need, we need Jesus to do it for us. When Israel had Zedekiah fighting a losing battle, we instead have Jesus giving himself willingly. Uh, let me read a passage from uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. You see, 
At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. That's us. Verses 9 to 11 are just such a key part for us today. We were made right in God's eyes because of His Son's blood, and we will be saved from God's wrath. And we are now saved through Jesus and are reconciled to God. Without Jesus, we would be facing God's judgment on our own, completely powerless. Do you really want to face that prospect? And I think that's where some of us are going to differ as well. Because it's almost like we've lost the fear of God. There's no more terror of judgment. I th- because I think if God's uh, judgment, punishment and sovereignty all grip us, our lives would really show this urgency, wouldn't it? We'd feel that holiness is something we'd need to urgently continuously and diligently strive toward. Yet how many times do we slip up in a month, in a week, in a day? We'd also feel that evangelism is just, it's just not negotiable. It's just not something we'd take lightly. You genuinely get people to think about where they're going after they die. But mostly, you'd be so glad that Jesus stands in the way of judgment for us. In your prayers, you might be praying for really important things. I have no doubt about that. Your health, your finances, relationships, uh, studies, work. There's a lot of important things for us. But do you really feel a thankfulness for Christ and how He suffered that horrific and torturous death on the cross to step in the way of God's judgment for us. How instead of us being the ones who felt the shame, the humiliation, the pain of judgment, it was instead His sons. Do you feel thankful for that? Now friends, as I finish today, it's, it's really clear the God of the universe is totally sovereign. We see Him display and express His sovereignty and judgment throughout this passage. The kings and people of different nations, they're not exempt. Even his children needed to face his judgment. And much like us, uh, they were tempted to listen to voices that would soften his difficult judgment. They had great temptation to run the other way, to try to hide from that judgment. But there's no point that judgment in the form of Babylon is at their doorstep. It's too late. They can't escape it. 
And like Israel, we need to know that judgment has always been there over every human being in existence. It's better for us to wait upon God who's in ultimate control and learn to humbly accept what comes from Him. And that means our sinfulness should concern us. But ultimately, we need to be humbled as we know we can't completely change ourselves from it. We need God to do that for us. So let's wait for God, trusting in His Word, even if it feels really difficult and uncomfortable. Let's encourage each other in these difficult times. Seeing that even if they are hard words, they're there for us, for our warning and for our own good. Trust in the Saviour that stepped in front of God's judgment for our very sake. Let me pray. Dear Father, we stand before you as humbled sinners who know that while you're a God who loves and sustains, you're also a God who judges. You're a God who is so gracious, yet so frightening at the same time. We confess, Lord, that we often forget about how sovereign you are and how serious you are about judgment. For you don't make idle threats, but give firm and serious warnings. Thank you that even though you judge all, all can be judged with the blood of the Lord Jesus covering them. Thank you that you don't leave us hanging out to dry, alone, with no help. We pray and ask for your help to reflect on our sinfulness and be humbled, knowing that we need Jesus, that this humility would push us to trust in your word, even if it's so difficult to do. Help us to have a concern for our holiness, for those who don't follow you yet, and to have a great thankfulness for Jesus. For it's in his gracious and incredible name we pray. Amen. Uh, so now we've reached a time of reflection, and what I'd like to encourage you um, about is to think of what you need to do, knowing, what God, knowing that God's judgment is a serious warning. 